Welcome to a Generation Podcast. It's good to have you all again, wherever you are, if you're in the car, on a train, or just sitting at home. Um, today, my guest is one of my colleagues. In fact, arguably my only colleague. We work together in the office here, Mary McPherson. Mary is the mission coordinator. Mary, welcome. Thank you very much. You are very much the voice behind the phone and the person who writes a lot of the letters. Tell us a little bit about yourself, where you were brought up and what you've been doing the last few years. Um, so I was born in Northern Ireland. As you I would never have guessed I've that from that accent. Surprising. Um, so I was brought up in a town called Ballymena in the Bible Belt of Northern Ireland. Um, but I've been in Edinburgh for... This is my sixth year in Edinburgh now. I moved here to study French and German at Edinburgh Uni. And then I moved back here last year um, to start my part-time master's in missiology at ETS. And I got married in June to Sam. And so that's, that's me in Scotland now. Excellent. <laughs> and how long have you been in the mission coordinator role? I've been in this role for three months. Oh, no. it, my goodness, time has flown. I think so, yeah. Now, wow. I know you, you've always been interested in mission. What made you um, think of applying for the job? Um, to be honest, it was a lot of people recommending the job to me. Um, and I'd been praying for opportunities to have practical outworking of my interest in mission. And in my studies in missiology, um, and I was coming into my second year of my part-time master's whenever this job suddenly kind of appeared um, and just lots of different people who were close to me, lot, like um, ministers and even my own dad who saw it on Twitter. <laughs> hey, well done communications team. Um, they recommended it to me um, and so I went for it and I got it. Great. So you're doing a master's in missiology. Um, is there any particular area that you're interested in? It's uh, a good question. Um, the good thing about my master's is that I get to cover like a wide range of stuff. So I do a lot of things. I'm particularly interested in um, language and culture would be my um, specific area of interest. A lot of that comes from um, studying languages at university as well. Okay, you've always had a passion for languages and mm. would you say you had a global perspective? I would definitely say that, yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, which I don't take for granted. I know that um, some people find it difficult to have a global perspective, but even just the way I was raised, um, I'm just very grateful to have that um, exposure to people from different places and different languages. Yeah, because Northern Ireland seems to be huge in terms of global mission. A lot of mm -hmm. folk are interested. Mm -hmm. Any reason for that? Um, I think a lot of it is the teaching that is there i think they're really good um bible believing um churches in northern ireland and it's just part of the dna that's there um also resources um some places are just have so many good resources and they make good use of it did you read missionary books as you were growing up like helen rosevere stuff and you know yes, similar i did absolutely um I the series of I can't remember what it's called just now. And um, there's that one particular series of books on um, missionaries, or the series of books about like ten women who changed the world, mm -hmm. or um, ten. I've also read ten boys who changed the world as well. And um, yeah, they just have like those really short stories about um, 
missionaries or people who just worked with people from different places? Yeah, I mean, this is podcast, so folk can't see you, but, um, you know, Mary's very, very young. At my age, everybody's very, very young. Uh, Mary kind of strides. Um, she's, I, I, I'm not sure, you don't ask a lady her age, I'm not sure if she's a millennial or Gen Z. Uh, which one are you? I still can't work out. I think I'm in the middle. Right. I'm like right at 96, so that's the cutoff for both. You were born 1996. Yes. That's a little secret. It's just between the two of us. No, nobody else will know. All right, well, okay. That, that year, that's incredible. That oh. was just yesterday. <laughs> um, um, and the mission board and, and the generation platform, we are really keen to talk about mission to all sorts of folks and to engage Gen Z and the millennials. How can we best do that for your generation? Um. That's a very good question. I think a major part of it um, is example as well, um, about having examples of older people who are passionate about mission. Mm -hmm. um, Did you have that in your life? Did you have good role models? Absolutely. My family. <laughs> your own family. Um, yeah, absolutely. And especially in that cross-cultural element, um, I think about my granny um, who, she was a French and German teacher actually and um, went and worked in Germany and in France and kept in contact with people from different countries and every time we were over at hers for Sunday dinner there was a missionary from her church she was visiting. So we just grew up having missionaries just come to visit us. And you married into a missionary family, didn't you? I absolutely did, yes. <laughs> um, yeah, because that's, that's the point. Because my passion for mission, through that, God kind of led me to a, a family with a missionary heart um, rather than the other way around, <laughs> um, which is a really good thing. Yeah. I, yeah. You're married to Sam, and obviously the two of you have a kind of global perspective. Mm -hmm. uh, you are internationalist. Um, what is his background? Um. So, well, that's a long story. Um, <laughs> so Sam was born in Edinburgh, actually, um, but his mum is Peruvian. Um, his grandparents were originally, well, they're Scottish. They went over to Peru as missionaries, had Sam's dad. So his dad's ethnically Scottish. Um, then his dad went back to the north of Peru, met his mum, who's Peruvian. Great. And so. our listeners will be really interested to know that Mary's father-in-law is David McPherson and he is going back to Peru, isn't he? He is, yes. What is he going to be doing there? Um, he's going to be working as a director of a charity called Operación San Andrés. Okay, well, as well as, as well as French and German, there's a little bit of Spanish. So getting no back sure. getting back to this Gen Z and millennial thing, would you say that your cohorts, your demographic cohorts, were engaged in mission? And if so, how are they engaged in mission? Um, do you mean cohorts as in... For your own age. Yeah, as in like... Christians, I'm presuming you mean. Yeah. 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 Um, so I think there definitely is a drive for mission at the minute, which is good. Um, a lot of it, um, I think, recently has kind of been taken over by politics, to be honest. Yeah. Um, 
just the political landscape at the minute and the landscape of our nation as a whole, depending how you define nation. What, what do you mean by that? Um, do you mean it's pushed folk into kind of social justice issues or environment or what do you mean by that? Yeah, so I think a lot of things are focused on Scotland at the minute. Um, it's very difficult to look outside a nation when it seems to be um, falling apart in some ways. <laughs> okay. Um, and so I think a lot of people, like you say, a lot of people um, are engaged in social issues, things like the environment, um, equality issues. Um, people are getting a lot more invested in politics mm-hmm. of our nation at the minute. Mm-hmm. And do you think mm-hmm. that's a diversion to real mission? Uh, let's use old-fashioned language, burden for souls, mm-hmm. a desire for folk to come to know Jesus as their saviour. Does language like that sit easily with your generation? <laughs> um, I think we don't actually hear it that much. That's what I mean about examples. Yeah. As in if we have people who use missional language sensibly and wisely, then that would have a good impact. I do think that there is a bird for souls and in inverted commas. You can't see them, but I'm making them. Um, <laughs> I think there is that, but it just looks different to what it did, say, even 20 years ago. Um, What's your initial reaction to even that phrase, a burden for souls or <laughs> a passion for the lost? What's your blink reaction to that language? Um, <laughs> it doesn't... It doesn't not sit well with me. <laughs> um, I understand what it's getting at. Do you feel it comes from another age? Um, yes, yeah. I do. But at the same time, it's also important. Something that um, I think my generation would sometimes downplay is the fact that people are lost before they find Christ. Um, and there is, I think, a temptation to downplay the aspects of things like hell that people need to be saved from. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So it's kind of trying to find that balance between um, not being old-fashioned, mm-hmm. but also not um, downplaying the reality. Because we need to tell people, I mean, yeah. many folk in the world don't know about Jesus. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Romans 1 tells us that, all they know about God from nature is just enough to have him condemned mm. if they are to have a relationship with him. I mean, the gospel is not going to just magically go over the air and we have to tell people, we have to tell the old story. Mm-hmm. Um, now, another characteristic of Generation Z is that you are all digital natives. That's, I think, the, the word, the expression that's used. You guys were born during the World Wide Web, you know, the internet and all that stuff. Is that significant for you folk uh, engaging with missional issues? Um, absolutely. I think even things like doing podcasts, <laughs> yeah. having podcasts, that's a big thing um, for my generation. And... There's so many excellent resources that um, my generation can now make use of. Um, and the fact that you can have connections, you know, as part of my job, I can email somebody in India mm-hmm. or somebody in Lima or somebody in France. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's 
or anywhere else in the world and it's just part of life um and that's really exciting um so you have those personal connections with people and it's just all part of that globalizing connectivity that's all part of it do you listen to a lot of podcasts I do, yes. And what are your favourite ones? Apart, oh, obviously, <laughs> from Generation, yes, which is going to be number, number my one. Second favourite podcast. Second favourite. <laughs> um, I really like, the. there's a podcast that the Gospel Coalition do called The Lydia Project, which has um, authors, female authors, um, who are connected with the global, go, with Gospel Coalition, um, and they're interviewed. And they're really... They're very short and sweet, um, and you can listen to a few of them at once, and I enjoyed that. Mm. And the Crossway podcast as well is really good, um, and they've got some really good mission-focused podcasts. Um, there's one I listened to recently about um, the pros and cons of short-term mission, which was very interesting. Okay. highly recommend that. What do you think about women Bible teachers? Is there any of them that you find especially helpful? <laughs> Oh, there's so many. <laughs> um, well, recently, actually, um, we had an event on at my church called Women of the Word. And one of um, the books we read was by an author called Sophie DeWitt. Um, and she's excellent. Another um, really good author is Jen Wilkin, um, who wrote um, None Like Him. Is And there's a whole series of books um, which are really easy to read and you can just pick them up. And go through them straight away um yeah those are really encouraging and um lydia brownback as well mm-hmm. she's also very good and of course we had nancy guthrie on our show or on our podcast it's like, not yes. a show <laughs> uh, a few weeks ago and so the folks who, well you've probably already he- heard her so you'll find <laughs> her her bible teaching uh, rosaria butterfield we hope to get her on uh, at some point Absolutely. Rosaria if you are listening please <laughs> we want to speak to you don't let me put you off <laughs> <laughs> now funny you should mention it short term mission um, <laughs> what do they say no man is an island unless his name is Madagascar so um, <laughs> I'm so funny I um, Mary you did a short term mission in Madagascar tell us yes how that came about? Um, so I kind of have to go back to the beginning, I suppose. So when I was like 14, um, I was at camp. Um, I went to um, Reform Presbyterian girls camps. And when I was 14, they had like a missionary, international mission focused evening. Um, and <laughs> I felt a call um from God, I don't know what it was. I just felt that I was called into some form of mission work. Had no idea um, what that would look like. Um, but after that, I told people about it, told my dad about it, um, and we prayed about it. And just ever since then, just so many doors, and to use a cliche, were just opening up for me. Um, I realized that I had a gift for languages. And um, I ended up studying languages GCSE, then took it on to A-level, did a university. So and through that, obviously, when you study language, you study culture. Um, and it meant that I had the opportunity to go to different places when I was at school. Um, I did a few mission trips to France um, 
and had the opportunity to work with people from different cultures and I just loved that and I had always really really wanted to go to Africa not necessarily on a mission trip I just really wanted to go to Africa um and I don't know if it was going to happen so when I moved to Edinburgh on my very first uh, night at CU um at Edinburgh University this woman got up and he worked for Africa in non mission and she was church mobilizer and she said here is an opportunity for you to serve um, she was like, we're making a call for um, particularly people who speak French or at least have a GCSE in French. And I love French. <laughs> and I've been praying for an opportunity to go to Africa, see what Francophone Africa was like, see what it's like firsthand. And so this came up the first time that I sat and see you in Edinburgh University. So I applied for that. I went in the summer of 2015 which is ages ago now that I think about it. Um, yeah, and I ended up um, being the head of the sports ministry for that. Um, I love sport. So that was kind of the natural thing at the time for me to okay. be part of. Short-term mission. Some folk would say holiday for rich kids doesn't do any good. <laughs> What would you say to them? I would say that <laughs> I'm not rich. <laughs> um, it's quite the opposite in that case. So I would say um, it depends how you define short-term mission trip <laughs> um, to get into the language of it. Are there me. benefits for the national church in it? I think it depends how it's done. It depends on what both sets of people expect from the trip and uh, how well prepared they are and how good the follow-up is afterwards right so anybody considering and i hope some of our listeners are considering short-term mission because i think they are helpful mm -hmm. <clears throat> to the local church what would you say should be in place when they're thinking of it and before they go i think certainly for um people from our context not having the perception that you're going out to change the world um, by yourself and not having that mindset of um, I am doing this for social media um, I'm not doing this for um, other people around me in my context who praise me for it um, I think it really has to be considered um, more if you are thinking of it um, as something that could benefit your um, future calling if you think it's something that God wants for you it is a really good opportunity to see if it is to test that calling to see what it's like um, and I think going in with an open mind like that is really beneficial um, especially when you come back from a mission trip because in a lot of ways coming home from a short-term mission trip is harder mm -hmm. than going out How to a short-term mission trip. How long were you there trip. for? I was there for a whole summer. Um, so 10 weeks, 11 weeks, okay. yeah. And what benefits do you think it brought the local church there? Um, I think it was good for them in that they felt recognised by the world. 
um, by a church, by the global church that exists outside Madagascar. Um, because I wasn't actually, I wasn't on the main island of Madagascar. I was in a little island um, to the northeast called Ile Saint-Marie, which is a very, very tourist-heavy, um, rich island. Um, there were people, loads of tourists from um, random places all over the world, actually. But there were loads of businessmen, French-speaking businessmen, who had built up spas and resorts um, for rich Western Europeans to come and visit. And they would employ people, um, local Malagasy people, and they wouldn't treat them well. And they wouldn't be interested in their culture, so to speak. Um, they just lived in kind of rich expat communities. Still do. Um, shouldn't be speaking in the past tense. Still very much is there. Um, and I think having white people there right from well for me being from western europe some people being from africa not from africa from america as well um having people actually speak to them and treat them well was actually just a good witness in and of itself and i think that was beneficial to them <clears throat> I'm, I'm really interested in this cultural difference thing how far do you go i was listening recently to a desert island discs episode uh, featuring Kimberly uh, Motley. Now, Kimberly is um, a Korean-American. She's a lawyer, and she practices law in Afghanistan. Strange enough, it's fascinating. There's an Island Disc podcast. And she was saying that she really doesn't accommodate herself culturally all that much to the Afghans. She would not wear traditional Islamic clothes. Um, now, you would almost think in a courtroom situation she'd want to ingratiate herself to the local population by maybe wearing a hijab or something like that but she felt rightly or wrongly i'm not going into the values here she felt that that was a sign of oppression so she was not going to go there and she says the afghans respected that in the same way you know there are some parts of the world which would maybe regard what we would call male chauvinism uh, and even more than that, abuse. A lot of folk would say, "Well, that's just cultural." Mm. How far do you accommodate a culture? In what context? As in, are we thinking of like in a mission context, or just yeah? In, you know, if you were in a context. particular country and you were counselling a, a girl and she was married, maybe somewhere to you. And she said, you know, my husband's really mean to me. Mm. But that's just the way we are here. That's our culture. Mm -hmm. I think things like that show how transformative the gospel can be. Um, and a lot of the times, a lot of the times we can see how countercultural, actual, real... Um, christ-like living is um, but it also highlights how difficult it is for people from different cultures to become a christian mm -hmm. um, it shows the barriers that are in front of people um, and yeah it's a difficult one <laughs> for sure um, 
I you, think... You've got to engage culture, but sometimes you've got to speak against culture. Yes, You know, sure. you could... An extreme case would be, you know, some tribal group who practiced the, I don't know, infant sacrifice, like the peace child thing. Mm. And, you know, there are, some folk would say, well, Western missionaries should just stay away and just let people be people instead of destroying a historic way of life. Mm -hmm. um, I think that's what is difficult, especially for me. I studied um, a bit of anthropology and ethnology and sociology while I was at uni. Um, and that's when things become difficult outside the Christian worldview. As in, how can we expect people to have a Christian worldview if they don't know what a Christian is or they don't know who Jesus is? Um, I think in that kind of context, that brings in a whole other load of <laughs> colonial nature yeah. um, and colonial baggage with that, which is what very often anthropologists would push against. Um, and you have things for it, like, for example, in the... Um, like intangible cultural heritage and things that are protected by UNESCO but perhaps sometimes they could be damaging to other people and um, things like child sacrifice but not that isn't ICH but things that could be seen as damaging to women mm. um, and so forth I, I think just everything in me just cries out being like the gospel can transform that. Um, but you do have to be sensitive in that and balance it with Paul's idea of um, be to the Jews a Jew and be to the Gentiles a Gentile mm -hmm. as well. Okay. Do you have some sympathy for the missionary as colonial equals a bad thing? Do you have some sympathy for that argument that there was a colonial attitude amongst missionaries or is that just beyond discussion is <laughs> obvious uh, yeah no it's whenever you study missiology now it's kind of that was it's like okay that happened now let's move on <laughs> yeah <laughs> to a certain extent which also is true of society in general mm -hmm. um i think it is just a major discussion whenever you're studying post-colonialism um, Christianity comes up an awful lot um, and what I was studying I um, specialise in African post-colonialism and Francophone post-colonialism and it's very difficult for people to get past that and that is a real barrier for people who study colonialism to get past mm -hmm. um, the church attempted to change culture not for the sake of the people who were there but to extend what they already had yep. people who countries that equated the crown or the government with the church um which is a definitely a stumbling block for people okay, so in in our context you know in, in the free church of scotland there's been massive changes in mission the last 10 20 years ago um, we are really trying to follow a process of indigenization, letting the nationals run their own churches, the nationals run their own school, the nationals run their own seminaries. Is is that an inevitable trajectory? 
I think so, yeah. Um, there's so much good in that, for sure. Um, I just think the process of doing it has to be done well. Um, given, not even like a colonial mind. <laughs> just thinking of colonialism. Um, Who says well? Who defines well? <laughs> well, uh, I'm just thinking of like post-colonialism, like how countries left. Yeah. That's that's naturally where I went to there, which is not a good place. Um, it's really important to not to have that um, parent-child relationship and things, yeah. which is so often the case. Um, and it's rather, really difficult to get out of that mindset. Oh, but and that's a that's totally a two-way street, and that doesn't come fully from, let's say, the person who is planted a church or he has um set up a seminary or a school or whatever it's a two-way thing as in like the people who are there love them <laughs> yeah and they love them and they call them their auntie or their uncle and that's just like that's what they have and it's and the people there don't see it as they're ruling over us with an iron fist and we want to control it for ourselves mm -hmm. they see it as we love these people we see the good that they are and we don't want to let them go <laughs> so i mean very often we, we want to be genuine partners we want to yeah. be their servants um i saw a video clip recently of it was a short-term mission in a particular country and it was quite funny there was two natives or two nationals looking on while two white guys hung a door and to me it was just a model of how not to do things um, because I think it should have been reversed, mm. um, that the nationals should have been given the dignity to do that themselves. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And also the story behind things like that as well. As in, because you just, you never know as well what lies behind <laughs> a photo like that or what led to it. But I understand. <laughs> yeah, you're giving me a row for being judgmental here. Maybe the guy... <laughs> Yeah, it was just, I think the picture, um, it was just a snapshot, but the basic principle is that we really want to empower the, the national church. And again, the irony is that the shift of Christianity has moved to the global south, mm -hmm. that that's where the energy is now in Latin America, the energy is now in Africa. And that's a little bit um, humbling, Mm -hmm. Do you find that? Absolutely. Um, yes. <laughs> I think, though, it's also really encouraging, as in we have a lot, we don't have that West of the Rest mentality anymore. And I don't think people of my generation have that. Um, I think our grandparents' generation had to have that <laughs> because that's what, the world was like and we we're so thankful for people who did go out and um learnt languages and um wrote letters to people because they couldn't skype or facetime or email the way we can today um and because of that connectivity as we were chatting about earlier on we can have the mindset of that it's everywhere to everywhere that mentality um which is really exciting. And then alongside that, you also have people, um, you have countries who are coming up with contextual theologies and theologies that 
are in the context where they are um they can see things in a different way than we can um, they can discuss things in a different way than we can and that's exciting and it also means that we can then learn so much from them too mm -hmm. um, it's no longer a case of us teaching people um, about missional theology mm -hmm. um, we can learn so much as well can you use an expression like African theology in other words writing theology through the prism of the African church or the Latin American church I think so if you use small t. <laughs> um, I think there are contextual theologies. Um, and I think it's something that we should also encourage. Um, because a, a lot of our theology is contextual. I think all theology is contextual. Mm -hmm. And it's done in certain space and certain times. Um, but also that's we're in a great position, I think, um, in the free church with just that solid theology <laughs> behind us that um, we can then work with people from other contexts and have the idea of hybridization in globalization and give them a firm basis for their contextual theologies as well. Yeah, I don't know if our listeners have picked <laughs> up that our mics are quite sensitive. We've used a, a bagpiper starting up... Um, he, he or she's a bit out of season, but it just uh, shows that everything has a context. And we are here <laughs> exactly. In, in a Scottish <laughs> context. In our context, there's and a bagpipe. you're bagpipes. In the, <laughs> and if it's the same bagpiper who's with me here all summer, he's uh, <laughs> he's getting better, I have to say, as, as the months go on. So, Maria, I mean, a lot of folk are interested, and <laughs> folk are not interested in what we do here and. And the mission board. So, what sort of things do you do on a on a day to day basis? Oh well, no it's two. varied. Of no course. two days look the same, as you well know. Um, so I well, where to begin? So there are loads of different aspects. So one of them is working for the mission board. So I kind of facilitate. Everything you, the mission board. You just does. clerk a committee yeah. and run a committee. Yeah. yeah. Um, and if I organize that and then on and then within um generation there are the four streams so there's church development church equipping church planting and global mission and each four each one of those has got um their own committees that I would also clerk and organize and they run their own um projects and events that and there's kind of events that you organize yeah, yeah. as well if there's so, nights away and mm -hmm. stuff like that you've got to organize that yep the, so did yep. anything surprise you um coming into the organization things that you didn't realize <laughs> i think it was quite what I expected, to be honest. Um, so it was, it's been so good being able to meet people. I think that's one thing. One thing that I, I'm just enjoying is that um, being quite young, <laughs> mm -hmm. just in an environment of old men. ministers, <laughs> <laughs> just constantly, which is just, it's so encouraging as in I have such good examples. Um, of what it means to live out your Christian life the whole way through your life um, and really prayerful and encouraging men which is just really really good um, and I really loved getting to know everybody in the office 
as well. I get along with everyone very well in the office. And the office isn't full of old white guys. No, it's not. I know. That's why I brought it up. (laughs) Um, Yeah. Yeah, no, it's not. We're diverse people in the office, which is just great. Um, And I think we are getting younger. (laughs) So, (laughs) um, yeah, it's really exciting. Yeah, one of the privileges I have is just working with... uh, such a wide range of people and the diversity is incredible with our revitalizers, our church planters, mm-hmm. ministers doing ordinary work, pastor workers, missionaries. And, you know, in the office here we see folk dropping in from all over the world and it's great um, to see that. Mary, thank you so much for giving us your time. We have appreciated that. We appreciate what you do. We appreciate who you are. And thanks for being so candid today about various elements of missional work. Thank you. Thank you for having me.